Welcome to the HR Empowerment Podcast, where we will uncover strategies and new insights from HR professionals who discuss up-to-date regulations, best practices, and the most pressing topics like diversity and equity, leadership, dealing with difficult situations, and much more that affect your bottom line and business. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to How to Handle Conflict. I'm communication and leadership skills expert, Pamela Jett, and this is episode number two of How to Handle Conflict. In episode number one, we debunked a few myths about conflict, in particular, that conflict is always negative. We discovered that conflict is inevitable and that it is how we choose to manage or deal with conflict that can make all of the difference. And we discovered that some people manage conflict in a very assertive, appropriate, respectful way, and that some people choose to use more of our fight approaches to conflict, which are often very disrespectful, aggressive, and others have more of a flight approach to conflict, which is caving in or letting other people have their way or ignoring problems and hope that they go away. So now that we have spent some time discovering what conflict is, which is that inevitable moment where there is a differing of opinions or ideas or solutions, and it doesn't necessarily mean they're fighting about it, it's just a differing of opinions. I'd like to talk a bit about the roots of conflict. Where does conflict come from? I often work with clients and teach them how to deal with difficult people And one of the roots of conflict is also one of the reasons that some people are difficult for us. And it's a real simple thing to talk about, but it actually has some very deep and powerful ramifications. And that is personality clashes. One of the basic roots of conflict is because people are different than we are. And the world really is a different place to different people. People have different experiences, different backgrounds, but they also just sometimes have completely different personalities. One of the things that I like to share with people is that the number one reason people are difficult isn't so much because they're difficult, it's because they're different from us. So the number one reason I sometimes have conflict with some people isn't because they're being difficult or they're being a jerk or they're uh, trying to irritate me. The number one reason I sometimes have conflict with people is simply because they are different from me. Now, remember, conflict isn't bad. Conflict is not nasty or messy. It's just neutral. It's how we manage it that can become nasty or messy. If we manage it inappropriately, uh, then we're going to do damage to relationships, damage to productivity, et cetera. But if we're managing it in a healthy way, conflict can actually help relationships and organizations grow and thrive and flourish. But at the root of so much conflict is differing personality types. Now, many of you are probably familiar with all of those personality profiles or personality inventories. There are tons of them out there. And to talk about them in a lengthy fashion would take hours and hours of time. 
Uh, there are so many uh, different ways of understanding personality. Some people will use, say, the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Uh, there are the personality profiles that are the shapes or the colors or uh, the animals. They're all pretty much based, though, on the same basic principles. And that is that people often are hardwired differently. There's been a huge amount of research uh, trying to answer the question of why are people the way they are? Is it nature? Is it because they were born with that personality? Or is it nurture? Meaning it's how they were socialized or how they were raised. My response to that as a social scientist is that it's both. It's both nature and nurture. So we all are born with some predispositions, some uh, basic personality traits, and then how we are raised, the experiences that we have, what we are taught to value as a young person or as a child is going to greatly influence or impact the decisions that we make in terms of conflict and in terms of also what we value and believe as adults. So we most assuredly are going to be a product of both nature and nurture. But a lot of conflict simply happens because people are different. People just are different. For example, some people have more of a spontaneous personality type. Uh, they may, and again, you can look at all these personality type indicators and figure out, oh, that's that personality. But some people are simply more spontaneous than others. They're more comfortable with doing things on the fly. They're more comfortable with making decisions very quickly or changing the course of things very quickly. They are more spontaneous. And then there are those who are much more systematic, linear, step-by-step, piece-by-piece. We have one and then we have two. Or A comes before B. Very linear, very logical. And so being spontaneous may not be part of their personality. They may have a hard time with change because if they have to change, then they have to change their system and they have a system for everything. Whereas some people are flying by the seat of their pants. Well, we can already see when we talk about just that one difference. Some people are more spontaneous than others. One personality difference, how there could be a lot of differing values, differing beliefs at play. So there might be a lot of conflict in a relationship like that. One person may want to plan things ahead of time. The other person may want to wait until the last minute to make decisions. And the person who waits until the last minute may make the planner nervous. And the person who is the planner uh, may bug the person who likes to make last minute decisions because they feel like all their options are being closed off too soon. And that bothers them. So now we have some competing values. It, it shows up in the workplace. Some people are really about saving time. Some people really want to save money. So something might take longer, but it costs less. So I already know my personality style values what is known as efficiency. I'm really into efficiency. I want to do things in the most efficient fashion possible. So I might be willing to spend a little more money if it saves me time, but I don't want to spend too much money because that wouldn't be very efficient overall. And I'm always looking for that sweet spot of efficiency. Efficiency in the workplace is one of my highest values. 
Whereas some people that I have worked with in the past, they don't necessarily value efficiency. They value predictability or they value saving money or they value cost or they want accuracy. They want it to be 100% perfect. And I'm kind of in this, uh, if it's good enough, sometimes good enough is indeed good enough. We have the roots of some conflict right there. Think about someone that you work with and ask yourself, do we sometimes have conflict? Remember, conflict isn't negative. It's just, do we clash? Do we butt, butt heads because of our differing personality types? That's the root of a lot of conflict. Another root or common root of conflict is competing goals. And sometimes those goals aren't very obvious. In episode number one, I gave a very simple example about a couple wanting to go to dinner and one person wants to go to restaurant A and the other person wants to go to restaurant B. Now, on the surface, this would be a low stakes conflict. And by low stakes, I mean, there's just not a whole lot that is risky going on in this conflict. So because it's a low stakes conflict, chances are it's going to be managed using some pretty good conflict management skills like cooperation or collaboration. Those are pretty healthy conflict management skills. They're assertive, they're appropriate, they're respectful. However, sometimes it's not really about the restaurant Sometimes it's about the goal. So perhaps one person wants to go to a restaurant that they know is going to be really romantic and private and intimate because they want some connection time. They are feeling like they haven't had a chance to really connect with their partner outside of the home. And it's always about the kids or about work or about chores that need to be done around the home. And so they're looking to go out to dinner someplace quiet, maybe romantic, where they can have quality conversation. So it's not so much about the restaurant, it's about all of those things associated with restaurant A. Whereas the other party who wants to go to restaurant B, they're thinking, well, you know what we need to do? We need to get in, we need to get out, we want to sit down, we want to have some tasty food. I don't want to be spending a ton of time because I want to get home so that I can, whatever it is. Um, do a project, work on something, I have you know more work to do, or I want there's a um, football, baseball, basketball game on TV that I want competing goals. So they end up in conflict about restaurant A and B. And it can be a bit of a mystery sometimes why that all of a sudden becomes so emotionally charged, why that seems so high stakes. So here's a real superstar tip. If you are ever in what seems to be a low stakes situation, like we're going to go out to dinner. Which restaurant do you want to go to? I want to go to this one. And they say, I want to go to that one. And for whatever reason, it seems to be more emotionally charged or the stakes seem to be higher. It may be because it's not about the restaurant. It's about some underlying goals. And at this stage, and this is why I say it's a superpower tip, is you want to unleash your curiosity. Tell me more about why you want to go to restaurant A. Help me to understand what's what makes you love restaurant A. 
Because if I ask my partner, tell me more about restaurant A or tell me more about why you want to go to restaurant A or what, you know, tell me, remind me, what do we love about restaurant A? I'm using curiosity, not judging. By the way, it's impossible to be curious and judgmental at the same time. It just is impossible. So if I ask a curiosity question, I'm not deciding, I hate restaurant A. Takes too long, takes forever. I'm not going to be able to get back to do what I wanted to do. If I just stay curious, I might discover, oh, my partner has a very different idea about what needs to be going on during this uh, meal out. And of course, if my partner's also curious and they want to know why I want to go to restaurant B, and it's because I like it, the food's good, but we're also in and out. It doesn't take too long. I, I have a whole different goal there. Well, now we can use good conflict management strategies to come up with a solution that satisfies us both. So it may very well be, hey, today, this time we're going to go to restaurant B so we can get back in time so that I can do whatever it is I wanted to do. And we'll make the commitment to have a Friday night um, dinner where we go to restaurant A and we have more time and we can have that connection that my partner might be craving. See how that works? But we won't know that unless we are using curiosity. So one of the great tools to managing conflict is to stay curious. So at the root of conflict, personality clashes, competing goals. Remember, the goals aren't always so obvious. It's not always just about what restaurant. And then another very common root of conflict. And this is actually at the root of, I'm going to say somewhere between 60 and 90% of conflict in most organizations and often in relationships as well. And that is poor communication or not enough communication or bad communication or a lot of miscommunication. So when we're not creating shared meaning. So I might say something one way and my partner takes it another. And now we're in some emotional ground that I didn't think we were going to. I didn't mean it that way, but that's the way it was received. And by the way, creating shared meaning is a joint responsibility. It's my responsibility to try and be clear as a communicator. It's also my partner's responsibility, whether it's in my personal life or my professional life. It's the other party's responsibility uh, to be perception checking and making sure that we create that shared meaning. But when we're not using our good communication skills, when we're not being clear, when we're not both working to create shared meaning, that can be at the root of a lot of conflict. Let me give you a real classic example. When I teach workshops on how to engage in relentlessly positive communication, which is what I believe we all ought to be utilizing. And by the way, that's not the same as happy, clappy, rah, rah, being chipper all the time. It's completely different. But one of the principles of relentlessly positive communication is learning how to be specific. And we talk about how important it is to avoid using the phrase ASAP because ASAP could stand for as soon as possible. But as soon as possible can mean two very different things to different people. So I might ask you to do something as soon as possible. And what I really mean is, you know, have it to me by the end of business. But I don't say that because I kind of figured you would know that when I say ASAP. But you hear ASAP and you think as soon as you can get around to it. And so it's not on my desk by the end of business. And I'm frustrated and annoyed. And you're confused because I didn't say end of business. I said as soon as possible. And you're going to get around to it by the end of the week. Poor communication because it wasn't specific. And if I'm not working to create with whomever I'm communicating with to create that shared meaning, we're going to have some conflict. And it may sometimes be very difficult to manage that conflict 
in an appropriate, respectful, confident, assertive fashion. And we may resort to what I talked about in episode number one, uh, conflict management strategies that are based in either fight or flight. So personality clashes, competing goals, poor communication, those are some of the most common roots of conflict. We also would put in the competing goals category, things like competing beliefs, competing values, complete competing perspectives on things, competing objectives. Those are the roots of conflict. And if you genuinely want to have a better understanding of where your partner, where your team member, where your leader, where your coworker is coming from, stay curious. It's one of the best conflict management tools out there. It's ask good questions, not defense producing questions. Why do you think that? But hey, tell me more about that. Help me to understand more about that. Small changes in how we present the, our curiosity can also make a big difference. And here's why it can make a big difference. Conflict, if it stays low level, is easier to manage appropriately than conflict that has escalated. And if you say, well, why do you think that? You put somebody on the defensive and now we are in an escalation cycle. So here's an understanding of why conflict escalates. Like how do we get from having what seems to be a very innocuous, easy conversation into some full-blown, icky disagreement? Well, here's what can happen. Person A behaves. They do something. They say something. And the next thing that happens is, and is this, let's just imagine these are two people together. So we have person A who does something, says something, or fails to do something, fails to say something, because that's also a behavior. Lack of behavior is a behavior. Person A behaves, and person B will receive that or perceive that behavior as a threat of some sort. See, most conflict is rooted in fear. So it could be that person A behaves in a way that flat out scares person B, their physical safety, but it may not just be their physical safety. It could be their emotional safety. They could be afraid that they're going to lose face, that their boss won't like them, that they're going to have to work too hard, uh, that they're going to be asked to learn new things and they don't feel very confident about that. So whatever person A is doing, person B interprets or perceives as a threat. And that doesn't mean that, by the way, person B is wrong or that person A is wrong. It's just sometimes that's what happens. We are using the word trigger a lot in our society, right? Oh, that triggered them and I didn't mean to, but they got triggered. Well, that's it happens. People will say or do things that will push buttons in other people that we didn't know that they had installed. So person A does something, person B perceives it as a threat. So person B responds. And remember, fight and flight are fear-based responses. So they will often respond in either a fight aggressive fashion or a flight more of a passive avoidant fashion which then has person A feeling either threatened on some level or like they're not being taken seriously or they haven't been able to get the person B's attention. So if person B doesn't pay attention to them, they ignore it or they try to pass it off, and then person A perceives that 
as either a threat or like to their safety again, or, or not to their safety again, because they have yet to feel threat, but this is now they feel threatened and they feel unsafe either physically or emotionally, or they feel like they weren't taken seriously. It's like, come on, pay attention. This is important. So if person B just kind of laughs it off and doesn't give it the time of day, person A feels that as a threat. And so then they behave, they escalate. Like, I want to get your attention. And so they may take it up a notch, which then person B perceives as even more threatening. And the cycle continues. Now, this may sound really no duh, but boy, one of the best things that you can ever do when you start to feel like you are in one of these escalation cycles because we don't always get an escalation sometimes you have conflict that's managed and it stays real low level low risk and everything runs smoothly but sometimes things escalate and they might escalate over low value conflict or high value conflict remember there's conflict that happens when it's kind of a low risk low stakes environment and then there's conflict that can happen over high stakes issues but the escalation can happen in either fashion or in either area. So it can be a low level thing you're having conflict about that can escalate, or it can be a high stakes thing that you're having conflict about and it can escalate, but both can also be handled in a non-escalating fashion. So you still have conflict, it just doesn't escalate into something dysfunctional. And it doesn't escalate into something dysfunctional because either you or someone involved in that pattern decides to make a different choice and break the pattern. And notice I said a different choice and break the pattern. So when you feel that escalation starting to happen, one of the smart things you can do is you can say, hey, let's, let's press the pause button for a moment because this is going someplace that I don't think either one of us want it to go. Let's, let's take a moment and think about it differently. Or even, hey, uh, ooh, can we stop for just five seconds and take a deep breath? I need to take a deep breath and break the cycle of escalation or, Hey, this is important. I want to talk about it. Not this way. Can we take a break and come back? Believe it or not. If you say this is important, I want to talk about it. Not this way. And you take a break and come back. That is a breaking of the escalation cycle. And then you can come back with curiosity. Hey, we're talking about this. Help me to understand. Tell me more about this. And then you use your superpower of curiosity. So break the escalation cycle. And sometimes the best way to break the escalation cycle is to ask for a break or take a pause. And sometimes people say, well, that's avoiding the conflict. Not if you come back, not if you say, hey, let's take five minutes, let's take five minutes and come back because I want us to manage this in a way that is consistent with the respect that we have for one another. So in your personal life, if you're having a difficult conversation with somebody, you could say, hey, can we just take a quick, like press the pause button for a moment? I don't want to say something I regret. And it breaks the escalation cycle. And sometimes you might be the only person willing to break the escalation cycle. It also may take some time for someone to trust you. If you say, let's make a pause, I guarantee you we'll continue to talk about this. We'll take a few, two minutes. And then two minutes is up and you say, okay, I have a question for you. Let's continue talking. Help me to understand X, Y, and Z. And you come at it from curiosity. But break that cycle. That's you leveraging your choice points. And so as conflict starts to escalate, that's one of the things you can do to break the cycle. 
so that you can then make better choices. And another superpower that I'd like to make sure we all understand is the difference between reacting and responding. When we are in conflict, remember, conflict is happening. We just don't want it to escalate into something that is destructive or for it to become dysfunctional. So when we are on the in a conflict type of situation, when there are competing goals, values, or beliefs, and the choice has to be made between the two of them, we want to respond in that situation as opposed to react. Because if we react, it's as if we are giving other people all of the power and control to push our buttons or to yank our chain. One of the things I like to think about is a doctor with a reflex mallet. And when the doctor hits your knee with the reflex mallet, you don't think to yourself, okay, here it comes, here it comes, I'm gonna you know, kick. No, you either have your reflexes work or they don't. And all of the power lies with the doctor and the reflex mallet as opposed to you. Well, in terms of how I behave in conflict, it's not like the doctor and the reflex mallet. I do have a choice. So just because someone says something to me in a certain way, perhaps someone behaves disrespectful to me does not mean I need to respond in a disrespectful fashion back. Just because somebody else is disagreeable does not mean that I have to be disagreeable. There's that old adage that you do not have to attend every argument you are invited to. I'm going to share that with you again. You do not have to attend every argument you are invited to. The conflict may be happening and somebody may want to argue and you may refuse to engage in that kind of conflict. You're happy to engage in healthy conflict, but not the aggressive, disrespectful kind of conflict. You get to respond, not react. Because when you react, you give away all your power, all your control. So there are certain things that we can do to help us be more responsible during conflict. There are things that we can do to help us make better choices during conflict, to stay in that responsible mode as opposed to a reactive mode in conflict. And that will be the focus of episode number three. I'm communication and leadership skills expert, Pamela Jett. And if you want to find out more about my communication and leadership skills and strategies, you can find me at PamelaJett.com. That's P-A-M-E-L-A-J-E-T-T.com, PamelaJett.com. And in episode number one, we talked about what conflict is, why it's inevitable, and how it can be healthy. In episode number two, we began to understand the roots of conflict and why it escalates. And in episode number three, we're going to be talking about choices that we can make to help us engage in appropriate, effective conflict management. See you in episode number three. Thank you for joining the HR Empowerment Podcast, brought to you by Aurora Training Advantage. We hope you've gained new insight and strategies to navigate the HR profession. We look forward to you joining us again on the HR Empowerment Podcast.